Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, the sky. Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm going to have a brother? I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. How are you, Tony? I'm good. You sound... uh... About three octaves sicker than I am. Yo, I am fighting an epic cold right now. And I every time I get a cold, I think this is like the worst experience in the world. But I realize it's a small thing that for whatever reason has like drastic effect. So I'm in that stage where Barry White has officially taken over my voice. Yeah, that's good though. Because Let's get it on. Yeah, we don't have enough um, sub-audible bass in our uh, podcast, so... If you've got subwoofers, turn it up, crank it up. Your neighbors will wonder what's going on. You were going to love this. Yes. I also feel like this is the prime time where I should record all of my outgoing telephone messages just because this voice sounds way cooler than my actual voice. It does. You should also apply for like a job doing voiceovers as Darth Vader. Like, like a voiceover? <laughs> yeah. That would be that would be fantastic in a the world. The worst part is you'd, you'd have to get a cold every time you went to work though. So instead of like calling in sick, you'd have to call in healthy. This already sounds like some kind of weird version of like the Would You Rather game. Yeah, we don't do games on this podcast, though. <laughs> Which no we'll talk games. about later because it's the Lord's Day and we don't do games on the Lord's no, Day. No games on the Sabbath. No games on the Sabbath. So uh, today we thought we'd do something different. Um, we, uh, we missed the boat on the New Year's resolutions. Uh, because of the way our recording schedule happened and because we weren't thinking. Um, but we're gonna today we're going to talk through uh, some of Jonathan Edwards' famous revo- uh, resolutions, his revolutions. Do you want a revolution? Woo, woo. Um, so Jonathan Edwards, as most of our listeners probably know, was a pastor um, who lived in the uh, New England area in the Connecticut River Valley um, during the uh, 1700s. And uh, he was a pastor in Northampton. There's all sorts of craziness going on. Um, he's probably most widely known for uh, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which is um, a good example of his preaching, but probably not super representative of his overall preaching, uh, which is maybe something we can talk about on a different podcast. Um, but he also, um, sort of young in life, wrote uh, a set of 70 resolutions. Um, and he wrote these Um, over the course of his life. So it's not like he sat down at one point and wrote 70 resolutions. It was like he would write uh, and he kept like a journal and he would add to them as he thought of them. Have you read the uh, Jonathan Edwards resolutions, Jesse? I have. They're a fantastic and wonderful resource, if only because you get a sense of how spiritually mature and thoughtful this guy was. Like he was definitely the man. And I want to refer to him from here on out as J. Ed. Is that cool? J. Ed. Yeah. J. Ed man. Yeah. He would hate that. He would hate that. He would um, take you out behind the woodshed and teach you a lesson. <laughs> so um, 
So we didn't really have much of a plan. This was like 10 minutes before we started recording. I was like, hey, Jesse, why don't we talk about this? So what we're going to kind of do is we're just going to sort of read some of them out loud and talk about them. And what I would like people to sort of pay attention to is, um, first, this is a really kind of a good example of sort of a late Puritan attitude on things. So when we talk about the Puritans, um, usually we're talking about um, a group of people in England um, from like the the middle of the 16th century to like think of like the end of the or the middle of the 17th century, like 1640s. Um, so people uh, sometimes will lump like Spurgeon or Edwards or other people in with the Puritans, but academically speaking, that's not really an accurate thing to do. Um, they kind of are in the spirit of Puritanism, um, but Puritanism is really a British phenomena. So even like when you get to America, when you start having second generation people that are Puritans. Um, they're not really Puritans anymore because um, they're not part of the Church of England anymore. So you can't really can't really consider them Puritans. And Jonathan Edwards kind of falls into that category where he he kind of carries on the Puritan spirit, but he himself is not really a Puritan. I know there's all sorts of people pounding on their keyboards right now to tell me how dumb I am for saying that. But um, so these these resolutions really represent sort of a late Puritan attitude. Um, and some of that may surprise you. Some of it will probably reinforce some stereotypes. So um, let's right just uh, let's just start uh, with his introduction to his own resolutions to kind of set the, the frame here. He says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Um, and that's directions to himself. He's not. He wasn't intending anyone else to ever read these. It's not like he was saying, "You guys should read these once a week." <laughs> so right off the bat, I think it's important that Jonathan Edwards was not thinking he was going to be able to do this under his own power. This isn't like a new law that he was setting up, but he was saying that these are kind of like his goals or his ideal objectives for um, sort of his own spiritual life and spiritual development. And there's like a sweet coalescence between the fact that he's acknowledging that he needs God's help. But also, I love that he says to read over these resolutions, 70 of them, once a week. So he's also pairing that he bears some responsibility. Like on his own volition, he is responsible in some way to work this stuff out, to be mindful of it continually. Yeah, and that really does kind of exemplify sort of the Puritan work ethic. They, at, at, at the same time, recognized fully that they were incapable of doing anything worth anything on their own. But that did not absolve them of any sort of responsibility to work hard and to strive and to, to try and aim for holiness. Yeah, they really made it their objective to take seriously the commission to be holy as I am holy, as the, the Lord states. So even though he was like, you're right, because there's some debate about this, but even though he was like a Furitan, a faux Puritan, that right. he still kind of has a lot of that same flavor of that really kind of almost hard-nosed work toward holiness that I think right. if you read, if, if you just read through these or even read through some of them at random, you would probably be a little bit surprised because he's very serious about this. Like it's not just yeah. he got up on the first of the year and was like, you know what time of year it is. I'm in the mood. Let me drop some resolutions real quick. Right. But uh, right. he was like, I want this to be the pattern of my life. I want this to have rhythm and cadence and I'm going to work hard as the Lord works hard in me. So there's something in that for all of us. Yeah. So I'm going to read the first three because they all kind of, they all kind of go together. Um, and I don't know, he didn't start uh, num- like dating these resolutions until number 35, which obviously he was well into writing them. 
Um, but the three, um, the first three read this way. The first one says, "Resolved that I will do whatsoever I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and to my own profit, or my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many my, myriad of ages hence." Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this whatever difficulties I meet with, however so many and however so great. Number two, resolve to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote the aforementioned things. Resolved, uh, number three, resolved, if I ever shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions, to repent of all I can remember when I come to myself again. So he, he's basically saying that he's going to do um, three things. He's going to always work for God's glory. He's always going to work for his own good. And he's always going to work to promote the good of humanity in general, and sp- probably more specifically those around him in his immediate sphere of influence. Um, and then he says... He's going to continually try to find new ways to do this. So it's not like a dull static thing. He's not like going to just fall into these routines. And if he ever sort of like loses his motivation or if he loses his um, his momentum to do these, that he's going to repent and uh, come to himself again. I find it interesting so, that the, the first one in and of itself has like a little bit of almost uh, like a purposeful ambiguity to it. So when he says right. resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty – and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. It's really broad. Yeah, yeah, it's not anything specific. Um, one of the things, too, that I'll, I'll put in the show notes for people, um, and I probably should have, we should have said this at the front, I'll put in the show notes uh, a link to the resolutions. Um, you can get them on the Jonathan Edwards Center at Yale. Um, you can also get almost all of the things that he ever wrote, um, probably all the things he ever wrote at that same website. Um, but I'll put the link there so we um, you can read through them as we go through them. So what do you, I mean, what do you think about this? I mean, he, he's clearly echoing the language from like the Westminster Shorter and Longer Catechism about right. um, the glory of God and his enjoyment. Um, you can kind of hear um, John Piper's voice uh, in his interpretation of this as, you know, you read it. But what do you think about sort of resolving to do, um, I would assume, like practical things to the good of mankind in general? You think that's something that we, you know, we should really think through as Christians? I think at least for my own part, something I completely do not take enough time to think about. It's just this idea that he is, again, being really deliberate about it. And uh, if if the gospel is the best news for, for mankind, uh, in this sense, in the way that we understand it, then he's right on. But to continually draw his mind back to that purpose that God is, is all loving and is uh, seeking and desiring to save those who are lost, then I think he's right on. I, I do love that it's like not, it's it's wonderfully general enough that this could cover so many practical things. Like he's not just saying, I resolve to like do more soup kitchens, go to more prayer meetings, right? you know, pick up more trash. But th- this essentially is an attitude or like a whole paradigm of thinking. So I, I think that by... I'm a big believer in like trying to be organized and meticulous and have a really good approach. And uh, I look up to this kind of idea that he was going to take it very seriously. What do you think? Yeah. And I mean, I think knowing some of his other history, you know, he did a lot of work um, with some of the Native American population in his community. Right. That's true. Um, he did a lot of missions work, but he also did a lot of just general kind of education type work, making sure that they could communicate with their English neighbors. 
Um, and then, of course, famously, he died because he was taking part in a test um, for a smallpox vaccine. Right. So, you know, it isn't just the spiritual good of people that he's looking for, but he's also looking for the practical good, which I think is something um, maybe not exclusively, but I think especially reform folks struggle with is we're so focused at times on the spiritual good of people that I think sometimes we can become really myopic in terms of like the practical good of people. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about like how do we how do we improve people's um, temporal conditions because we're so focused on like almost like the meaningless of those temporal conditions apart from the gospel, which I think there has to be some kind of balance in there that we have to strike. And even though, like you said, he's drawing a lot of language from, or a lot of things sound familiar, at least from the confessions. And right. the confessions are very specific about spiritual election. I really appreciate that he's, he's still forward thinking in the sense that he's looking towards all people, that, that he doesn't know the manner in which God will use that election or the method by which he might be used to bring about right. that kind of election uh, by yeah, God's absolutely. means. Yeah. Um, so then the next little cluster here, um, f- probably five through um, maybe seven. Um, He says, number five, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it to the most profitable way I can. Number six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And number seven, resolved never do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. That is so so good. (laughs) Yeah, so this is kind of like his, um, his sort of like carpe diem section where he's really saying like, I'm going to, I'm never going to waste a moment. And and he, he didn't like he, he lived his life. He spent hours and hours in study. He would go out on these long walks and um, his wife would talk about when he came back, he had all these little like scraps of paper he would bring with him so he could write as he walked and then he would pin them to his shirt when he, when he was walking so he wouldn't lose them. So he came back and he'd have all these like pieces of paper pinned to his shirt. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is a hard, kind of a hard teaching though, because how often do we, how often do we just waste time? Oh, I mean, we, we've talked about that before, but I mean, there's a million ways I can waste it just sitting at my desk right here, right now, right. like without any effort whatsoever. Well, and yeah, and I mean, like, I think too, we'll see, we'll see later and maybe we'll go there next. But I think we sometimes also need to recognize that things that are not necessarily outwardly productive are not necessarily waste. So like, it's okay to spend a little bit of time sitting in front of the TV and relaxing. Right. I mean, is it or would we? Yeah. Jonathan Edwards probably wouldn't say so. But I think we have to say like recreation is is not a bad thing. No, some of that is just enjoying the good blessings that God has given us. And we're not capable to do good work without good rest as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, he's he had his own little hobbies. Right. He he was a scientist before he was a theologian. And he would he would go out and like find bugs in the woods, and he would he he talked about how he loved to like chop lumber, and he would go on walks. So even even like Jonathan Edwards had his own kind like particular flavor of Puritan leisure that he participated in. <laughs> I love that that's like Puritan leisure. Like yeah, I'm just gonna kick back real quick and chop a quart of wood. I'll be back. Yeah, he loved to go on walks. I mean, he was taught he would talk about how he went on these vigorous exercise walks, um, which I know I probably need to do more. Is he like the first, is he like a Puritan hipster? Can we he say He might that? be. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, it's funny. The Puritans, they, um, they're kind of like 
thought to be like this dour people who wore like black and gray all the time. But actually that was really just what they wore to church on Sundays and like what they wore on the Lord's day on like the rest of the week, they wore like these flamboyant colors and like, they were like really well-dressed, like well-to-do people a lot of times. Totally hipster. I also love that basically the resolve to live with all my might while I do live is like preemptive of like dead poet society. Yeah. The original. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards was a Sabbatarian before being a Sabbatarian was cool. The OG. So shout out to uh, the Reform podcast there. So um, speaking of the Sabbath, let me find it. But there's one that I just I I the first time I read it, I I was kind of flabbergasted, and I I don't really know what to make of it. So maybe we'll have some good discussion. But resolution number thirty eight says resolved never to speak anything that is sportive or a matter of laughter on the Lord's day. And he wrote that on the Sabbath evening of December 23rd in uh, 1722. Boom. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Should we make jokes on the Sabbath? Oh man. So this is one where I wish I had some more context of like what he was thinking when he wrote this, because it's pretty direct. It seems pretty clear. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on what we mean by, like sportive in the sense that like where's the line where it's distracted for inappropriate or I'm sure he's not speaking about that, but something even like more nuanced, like just like knock, knock jokes. Like, is that against the, his resolution? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it it sounds like he's just saying that you shouldn't be casual on the Lord's day and not just like casual about the Lord's day, but casual on the Lord's day. Um, which I, you know, I'm not a super strict Sabbatarian, but I, I just feel like um, this is probably going even further than most strict Sabbatarians would. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because I've never actually to this day, like I don't think the Sabbatarians I know who I love and respect very much, who are very strict and have strong convictions about that. Never once have I said, like, we don't make funnies on the Lord's Day, like no, right. no smiling, no jokes, no sarcasm. But I get what he's saying in the sense that in a kind of this broad way. He's trying to set apart the Lord's Day as something special and to make it as casual in some ways as all the other days uh, does, I suppose, diminish, at least for him, its importance, its holiness. I don't know. Yeah. And I think maybe, too, you know, when you read these resolutions, a lot of it is he's resolving to do all of the time the things that normally uh, even Sabbatarians sort of set aside as what makes the Lord's Day special. Right. So rather than say like, I'm going to use the Lord's Day to really focus and I'm going to be productive and I'm not going to waste a minute of the Lord's Day. He's saying, I'm not going to waste a minute out of any day. So I guess I, I wonder, and this is totally speculation, but I wonder if if maybe that plays into sort of this this super strictness or what we would perceive as super strictness on the Lord's day that even most Sabbatarians would look at and go, wow, that's, that's kind of intense. Yeah. It does seem like he took the whole spectrum of behavior and, and kind of pushed it up. And these are resolutions. So it's not to say that he was particularly strict in articulating these so that he would have a high and lofty goal, perhaps knowing that there'd be room for him to work through these. And that of course he might like, I'm just thinking like of Jonathan Edwards, like slipping up and like cracking a joke, like, uh, right on the way to church or like what, where was the line for him on that? Like, was it knock, knock jokes? Was it like, I don't am trying to think of like other, um, other like Puritan forms of humor. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're so well prepared for this. I wonder too, and I hadn't thought about this before, but I wonder if maybe that has more to do with him being a minister and preaching on the Lord's day too. Yeah. Is I wonder if, if, 
you know, there's a lot of discussion about delivery style in the Puritans and yes. how, um, you know, uh, uh, George Whitfield was sort of seen as like this flamboyant theatrical person and he had a theatrical training. So he used a lot of those theatrical techniques in his sermon delivery. And we know that after uh, Jonathan Edwards sat under Whitfield's preaching that his delivery changed. He became more theatrical. He stopped preaching from a manuscript and started preaching some, sort of more extemporaneously. So I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it. I, I don't know. That'd be an interesting thing to study, and I'm sure somebody's written about it, but I, I just don't know. It just seems really, like, really intense and really dour. It's almost like it reinforces everything that – every stereotype about Puritans. Exactly. Um, and maybe maybe that's just J. Edwards. Maybe that's J. Ed. Yeah, um, it could just be J. Ed. You know, again, like we well, we chop wood for fun and we don't laugh right. on the Sabbath, which, which sounds like a delightful existence. But yeah, I don't know too, like how much of this was, because I'm just reading it over and over and thinking, you know, so for instance, in our culture, one of the things that gets talked about a lot on the Sabbath, especially in the fall, is like sports, especially football. football. Yeah. And like even our own church cultures have like a, kind of this built-in commonality of conversation introduction on like a Sunday morning that often revolves around football. Like you're going to watch the game, right. excited for the game, all that kind of good stuff. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but if we're trying to prevent that from interfering with like when, when we come to the Lord's day, our focus, even if we have to purposely set the boundaries a little bit further out than we, we feel like we, sh- we might need to, it helps us to remain focused and to remain um, under this cognizant awareness that this is God's day for set aside for holy worship. And we don't want to get like too flippant about it in any way. Yeah. And I think too, something that, that bears saying is these are Jonathan Edwards' own resolutions for his own life. So I, I haven't ever seen any indication and I've, I've read a fair amount of Jonathan Edwards' sermons and his writings. I've never seen any indication that these were standards that he tried to enforce or even suggest for other people. Yes, exactly. The fact that we're reading them, you know, 300 years later is probably something that Jonathan Edwards would be really uncomfortable with because um, I think we hold him up as like this example for godly living, which he certainly was, but I don't think he would consider himself an example for godly living. He wouldn't say, follow my example. Um, I think he just, this is the way he wanted to live his life. Yeah, this was his method of personal legalism. He wanted to hold right. himself to these standards. And that's what I still find very admirable. It's not just that, I mean, he, we, we can criticize him or kind of, uh, poke holes in the fact that some of these seem like overly stringent. But the bottom line is, I, of all the people I know, he's the only one that took the time to sit down and narrate all these and be very serious about creating. You know, like how many how many other things in our life, like our work, our hobbies, other things that interest us, do we actually create, you know, we're meticulous in our approach. Like we're organized, we have to-do lists, we have things laid out. And uh, he was just like, this is even more important than all those things. So here we go. I'm about to drop. 70 things that I, I regularly want to consider. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, because I took a Jonathan Edwards course when I was in seminary, and one of our assignments was that we had to write uh, resolutions. So maybe if we have a little bit of time, I'll read, I'll read some of mine if I can find them on my computer. I'm sure I still have them. Uh, but I think to reinforce, you know, what we're saying about his his own kind of like personal attitude towards himself, um, number eight here says resolve to act in all respects 
both speaking and doing as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and to let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my own confessing sins and misery to God. So what he's saying there is that he, he will always act and speak as though he is the worst of all sinners. And when he thinks about someone else's sins, he's going to think about it as though he had committed them rather than um, using them as an occasion to like think himself better than someone else. Which is huge. I mean, it he, is. It's a he's it's taking a crazy perspective. It is exactly like what I'm just blown away by every time I revisit these is that he takes something as a trigger or as like an exogenous influence, uh, and he turns it on himself as a paradigm which fits like well within like the Puritan and the Reform rubric. So I, I was just looking at number ten, which is crazy. Like I, this is a connection I would never make, but I, I really see the value in this. Ten reads resolved when I feel pain to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. Yeah. I mean, who does that? That's wild, but that's right on. That That's like, right. that will drive you to an urgency in a different way. So like, you know, I'm pretty sure like this very moment I'm, I'm feverish. So if, um, podcast fever, yeah. um, no, actually I think I have a legit fever right now, but that being said, like as, as there's like a bus parked in my sinus cavity, the first thing I thought of was not, I should really consider those who have suffered for Christ and the countless others who are on their way to hell. Uh, instead, I was just like, do we have any acetaminophen? So this is like, it's just wonderful because it, even if you're like, this is, is, is really intense, it should drive us back into the scriptures, drive us back into thinking about how we should live and behave and act. And that, again, that, that one just like blows me away. Yeah. And I think we, as Christians, we should be more aware of, um, you know, what our sufferings are intended to do. So we, you know, we go through sufferings and the scriptures tell us that those sufferings are intended to make us more like Jesus. And I think this is one of the ways that, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards is trying to apply that is rather than focus on his own pain and suffering and sort of like, woe is me. He's saying, I'm going to think about what it would be like to be martyred, or I'm going to think about hell. And then I think the implication there is I'm going to drive, I'm going to use that or allow that to drive me to holiness. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I think he's trying to accomplish there because the goal would be to be more Christ-like. I mean, doesn't, um, doesn't Spurgeon say something about that? Like the fire and the hammer being the, the principal tools by which God has caused growth in his life. And this is for me much the same. It's really focusing on that because uh, yeah, we, so we're like a comfortable people in our culture for the most part. We, yeah. we appreciate culture, our culture. We love culture. We appreciate comfort and we have an, an incredible access to comfort in our culture, like either by our resources for what we can pay for, or just by like, I don't know, like an emotional connection for the most part. So, yeah. so the fact that most Christians in our culture don't suffer well, this is something that's really hard to think about and to do. Yeah, and that kind of ties in, you know, we skipped, we skipped past it, but it ties into number, um, number nine. It says, resolve to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. So that's one of the things if you study um, either English Puritanism or uh, North American Puritanism or the, the generation following um, – there was a lot of people dying um, and death and dying was like a super present reality that, um, you know, when you, when you 
are in New England and you drive past a church, there's almost always a graveyard attached to that to that church if it's an old Puritan church. And a lot of times they would actually build the graveyard so you had to walk through it to get to the church. And so the preacher, as he's standing in the pulpit preaching, he's looking out into the graveyard. And this reminder that death is coming for you was an ever-present reality for the Puritans. Um, and so he, he's saying here, I'm just going to always remember to think frequently on my own death and just the commonness, the common circumstances of death. Yeah, this and we just is, don't do that. Death no, is like this no, reality, this reality that we push off in our, you know, we talk about people passing away or, you know, they've gone to a better place and we use these euphemisms to soften it. Um, you know, we have, we don't have funerals anymore. We, we have memorial services or life celebration services and things like that. And I can appreciate, as I'm sure you can, the emphasis on those things, but you're right. All it's doing is like sugarcoating the hard truth, which Christianity brings to bear. And that is that right. we all die and we're all judged. So yeah, it, I mean, in, in this, there's just so much good scripture, right? I mean, he's, he's, I just, he has a really great way, I think of, I want to say like proof texting in the sense, but of pulling out scripture in like his own words and then right. putting it into these little pra- practical things. I'm not sure it gets like more practical than this, like all the stuff that he's written. But by the way, I'm pretty sure somebody is thinking this is going to be a five hour podcast at this point because we're at like number nine and there's 70 of these. There are 70 and we'll probably skip through. (laughs) Here's one that I think is really interesting. Um, We don't have to talk about it, but um, he has this little section here uh, in like 14, 15, 16, uh, maybe like 17, where he's basically like, I'm not going to be a tool is kind of how I would summarize it. So 14, resolve never to do anything out of revenge. 15, this is the really interesting one. Never to suffer the least motions of anger to irrational beings. From what I I can tell, he's saying he's not going to get angry with animals. From what I can tell he's saying. Yeah. And and there's a part of me, you know, I have a dog and she she's finally starting to be potty trained. But I, there are times when I'm like really mad at the dog. Um, not be, and, But she's a dog. Like she's doing things that dogs do. She chews on the trim because she's a dog and she wants to chew on wood or she, you know, she grabs a sock and she runs away with it like it's a like an animal she's caught. And I get like mad. But it's like that's that's just what they are. And that's that's what they do. And he's saying, like, I'm not going to get mad at animals. So crazy thorough. Like, that's such a random thing. But yeah. I think everybody has had the experience where they've, like, wanted to kick an animal, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've never, I've never wanted to kick my dog or any dog. But, like, there's times when you just get so frustrated. And, and some of it's grounded in the fact that they're not rational beings. You can't explain to the dog why they shouldn't eat such and such a thing because it's going to hurt them, right? If you drop a big thing of chocolate on the ground, the dog's going to eat it and probably going to die. But you can't explain to the dog, you shouldn't eat chocolate because it'll kill you. They're just going to eat it because it's there. Right. And it's delicious. And it's still, I would eat it even if it was going to kill me probably too. I like that in number 20, and again, this shows how broad they are. He says, resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. Yeah. So good. I mean, again, yeah. that seems like just commonplace, but the fact that he's equating it essentially with all of these other things, his his view of holy living is very holistic. Yeah, and I think that's what struck me the first time I'm reading it, and just as we're going through it now, is that th- this is not just, I resolve to pray more, I resolve yeah, not, exactly. to, not to curse or not to be angry at people. It's so holistic that it extends beyond like spiritual disciplines into I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat healthy or I'm going to, 
I don't know if he has one in here about exercise, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did that he was going to, you know, take care of his body by being active or things like that. I mean, when your free time activity is chopping wood, I'm pretty sure he was pretty ripped. So That's probably true. didn't need to make the cut. But what's interesting to me about this is that he's not choosing either or. So he's not, like you said, saying, listen, I'm just going to drop a bunch of like uh, heavy kind of spiritual activities on here. And on the other hand, he's not saying, well, I'm just going to live better, exercise more, drink less, right. or eat more broccoli. Uh, he's bringing them all together, which is in this Reformed tradition of holy living, that all of this does matter to God. Yeah. And then, then there are some that you look at them and you're kind of like, really? So like 36, he says, resolved never to speak evil of any, except I have some particular good call. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not going to trash talk anybody unless I've got a good reason to. You know, I know that's kind of like, he's probably more, when he says like speak evil, he's probably talking more about like, I'm not going to call someone out for sin unless I have a good reason. But right. you read it and it's just kind of funny that he's like, well, unless I have a good reason to. Yeah, I, I do love it. Again, I would love to know like what, where is the line on that one? It would be great to know. Yeah. And this is one that I think, you know, I, I've been really convicted lately um, that the reform, particularly the reformed online world, which as podcasters we're a part of, but also I'm very active on Facebook. Um we really can be jerks to each other. We can be really just bad to each other. And he says in um, resolution 33 resolved always to do what I can towards making, maintaining and preserving peace when it can be without overbalancing detriment in other respects. So he's just saying like, I'm going to move towards peace and, and unity when I can do that without some sort of uh, detrimental effect, probably, you know, we've talked about like unity has to have a certain level of doctrinal consistency. We can't have unity at the cost of doctrinal consistency. Right. Um, but we know from his history too, that he failed at this. He didn't always do a good job of this. So I think it's really important to, when, you know, you look at this, you can kind of idealize a man like Jonathan Edwards, when you see, wow, this, this was a pretty young man writing some of these really spiritual mature things. But we know that sometimes he lost his temper and sometimes he made stupid moves and he, he did things that weren't wise. Um, and it, you know, it really cost him in some cases. Um, he, he lost his pulpit, um, at least in part because of a, a foolish pastoral decision that he made. Right. Sometimes he kicked a squirrel while he was cutting wood. It happens. It does. I, I really like 46. I, I wanted to hear what you, how you feel about this one. Resolved never to allow the least measure of any fretting, uneasiness at my father or mother. Resolved to suffer no effects of it, so much as in the least alteration of speech or motion of my eye, or, and to be especially careful of it with respect to any of our family. Interesting. I mean, he he's, he's basically just saying, I'm not going to... Um, I'm never going to act in a way towards my parents that is not respectful. Yeah. You know, he's, he's talking about like, I'm not going to roll my eyes at my mom. Yeah, exactly. Like it, if you break it into our, our language and that's, again, it just shows you like the meticulousness of this, that he's, he's thinking enough and this could have been, you know, like I said, he could have just had an argument with his family. Right. Um, we don't know exactly what the context is of this, but um, how often do we sit down and think about, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to smart off to my parents anymore. I mean, we're adults. So um, granted, we still have a relationship with our parents and there's times where we get frustrated with them and we need to be respectful. But how, as a young man who probably still had some pretty significant in, interactions with his parents at that point, um, he had the wherewithal to think about that. 
And whether or not this is what he meant, I kind of implicitly gather from this as well, that he was not willing to kind of speak ill about his parents or blame them for, for past problems. I mean, there's no doubt that people have various kind of conflicting relationships with their parents, but it seems to be emphasizing respecting the office of father and mother. Right. And so he's not like, again, like in our terms, he's not going to like sit down with a psychiatrist and be like, all my problems are because of my mother. Right. Um, he, he's taking responsibility for his own behavior. And he's basically asserting that love and respect is definitely not a feeling. It's definitely an action. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this is one that I think we would really benefit from it, Jumping back to resolution 41 it says resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. I mean, how great is that? He, he, he literally is saying every day, every week, every month, and every year, I'm going to take inventory of my day, my week, my month, my year, and ask what I could have done better. Just such simple, practical things that I think if we just did that, if at the end of every day we took a few minutes and said, all right, where did I screw up today? What could I have done better? I think it would really kind of revolutionize how we think about the world. You know what I find fascinating about that, that idea is – there's been so much literature, at least that's come across like my desk as of late, about this idea of trying to be thoughtful, especially in like your profession. So like doing exactly this thing, like at the end of the day, you should sit down and kind of go over in your mind all the projects and the tasks, kind of organize things, but also critique, do like a postmortem of how things went. And all these psychologists kind of tout this as this is a way to better holistic thinking, better peace of mind, better sanity. And again, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that here it kind of pops up in kind of more or less a, with biblical overtones and yeah. it's appropriate and it makes sense that psychologists would of course at some point find this to be beneficial because that's the way God did it. So um, yeah, this thing is like crazy broad. I can know I've said that a million times, but I'm really always impressed with like, it'll, it'll bounce around. It'll be you know, one point he's talking about food, next point he's talking about his parents. Um, yeah, everybody should definitely read this at least once in their life. Yeah, and I think, I think I'm gonna try to make a practice. Um, I think that I had thought I was gonna do this when I was in seminary. I'm going to try to make a practice of reading through this every year at some point, um, probably sometime in January, I would guess. That's a great idea. Revolution or resolutions theme. Um, but there's just so much good practical wisdom. Um, and even just to be sort of humbled by Jonathan Edwards' example, that this this was a young man who, um, you know, there's there's nothing in here, as far as I can tell, about his life as a husband or father. So I guess I don't know for sure that this was before he uh, became a husband and father, but I, it seems reasonable to think that that's the case. There's a little introduction I have here that probably would tell me. But, um, you know, to think that a young man is, is writing this and is this conscious of himself that he's able to sort of think through these things um, is really humbling to me. Yeah, we've talked a lot on this podcast before about mortification about trying to put sin to death and his resolution in 56 is so brilliant so succinct the brevity is part of its beauty and he just says resolve never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions however unsuccessful i may be yeah. so he's acknowledging this inability in some sense to be rid of all sin altogether but i like that he's like i'm just not going to let that stop me that's not going to be an excuse yeah. and i'm not going to let that discourage me yeah, so a little bit of context. Um, it does look like he wrote this before he had taken a ministry post. It looks like he wrote it while he was um, during his studies at Yale. Um, and so he was still living in his family home. He still was under the authority of his parents. 
um, and he was he was preaching periodically. So this was definitely before he um, before he married Sarah and before they had children. Um, so that gives us a little bit of context. But I think that makes it even more impressive. This is basically a, a college student. Yeah, exactly. Is um, late teens, early twenties. Yeah, he was point. he was a crazy young dude, and in this day and age, we wouldn't expect this kind of maturity right. or thoughtfulness, probably right. out of somebody that age. But maybe we should. I mean, there's there's a lot of that. These guys were were products of their time, and that right. influences to some degree this body of work. But nonetheless, there this is the kind of stuff that I think we all could benefit from being taught this regularly, but especially young people, which is why I just I love the catechisms. Uh, in particular yeah let's see what else do we have do you have a favorite one by any chance or are they pretty much you know i don't know them well enough um to have a favorite one i did i've always loved the one about not making jokes on the sabbath i do like that Um, one not necessarily because i think it's that great because i think that is probably an example of him going a little bit overboard um but just because it's so characteristically Jonathan Edwards and so characteristically Puritan that I, I think I've always really loved that one. How I do. You? Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say like, this is not that interesting. I do like that one as well. I feel like that is like a bumper sticker waiting to happen. Like that would have yeah. been the one that he would have slapped on like the horse. I'm going to see if I can try to convince uh, Tanner to employ that after he masters the no Christmas thing. I'm going to try to get him to the no laughing on the Sabbath thing. Come on, Tanner. Where are you at? Come on the podcast. Yes. Talk to us about how you've given up Sabbath laughter. We're, we're just playing with you, Tanner. We love you. <laughs> and I just made a joke on the Sabbath because it's Sunday. <laughs> and I just, I've Sunday. laughed several times. So yes. this is yes. this is something for which I will, I will seek yes. some kind of repentance. Jonathan Edwards is going to be very cross with us when we get to heaven about that. He's going to be like, really, guys? You made fun of me on the, on the Lord's Day. You made fun of me. Yeah, so I am curious, like, no doubt when we get to heaven, he was a dude, obviously, I'd like to, to chat with. And I wonder how you feel about that. I don't know. He probably won't care. Yeah, he that's He doesn't know we're doing it, and he's probably not going to podcast. Can yeah. you imagine Jonathan Edwards podcasting, like, listening to a podcast? <laughs> well, so here's one of the things about Jonathan Edwards, and correct if I'm wrong, like, people should definitely go grab uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, just because it is it is well known. It is a fantastic right. sermon. Like, it's it's tremendously yeah. convicting. Uh, and it's one that I, my mind does go to quite often when I think about uh, the power of sin and temptation. Yeah. But my understanding is, like you said earlier, because he was so reluctant to undertake any kind of like theatrical tone to his preaching, there is at least a period of time where he like just read out his stuff monotone. Like he refused yep. to really provide any inflection because he wanted the glory of God to be manifest in the word of scripture rather right. than in the oration of it. Yeah, my understanding is he didn't even look up from his manuscript while he was preaching. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That may be one of those like old wives' tales that you hear. Um, but my understanding is he read monotone and he wouldn't look up from his manuscript. Um, and then after he heard sort of the theatrical preaching of John of uh, George Whitfield, which really moved him, um, he sort of moved away from that a little bit. That makes sense. I mean, those two are, would be like the odd couple. I feel like in terms of preaching. Yeah. Like so it, here's another one. Here's another one that I think is good for the young reformed and rude uh, community online. Rude. Number fifty-eight uh, <laughs> resolved not only to refrain from an air of dislike, fretfulness, and anger in conversation, but to exhibit an air of love, cheerfulness, and benignity. And that's a hard word to say, but it's a great word, right? Being benign, so an, an air of love, cheerfulness, and sort of being uh, not a tool. 
not a toolness. There's there's a lot that could be summed up in don't be a jerk. Yeah, don't, don't be, be a, a tool. Jerk. Yeah, I like that. Um, by the way, this is somewhat off off pace a little bit, but yeah, uh, young. Did you say young? Restless, would you say restless, reformed, and rude? Young, young, reformed, restless, and rude. I'd never heard that before. Does that qualify as a joke? I think it does. But uh, it's also kind of serious. So That's what I'm saying. It's got like serious subtext. So like help us out, J. Ed. I don't know where to draw the line. I didn't think of that. Uh, I'm thinking of that as nobody has been so vile as I. Because there are definitely times... Um, you know, even, even as I'm kind of joking around now, I'm feeling all convicted, even as I'm joking around and poking fun at Tanner, like I really respect Tanner and I really respect his convictions and his growing convictions, but like how quickly can we, um, how quickly can we turn from like being respectful to disrespectful? I don't think we've crossed the line and maybe Tanner will kick me out of the pub for it. But, um, like, I think very quickly, especially when we're talking in, like, text form on Facebook groups and emails and blogs and things, we very quickly can pull out that sarcastic edge, and we get really right. mean really fast sometimes. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think, you know, this convicts me that I need to be really a lot more intentional about it. Um, and, you know, as Jonathan Edwards said, sometimes you have to pull out your sword and you have to, you have to use that edge. But you only want to do that when uh, to not do that would cause some sort of harm. Exactly. I appreciate that. He was saying like the most good, which implies there are right. good things, but there is like good, better, best. And he's trying to, to do that. And he would only be compelled to use kind of that sharper edge of his wit or whatnot if that were the case. I mean, it yeah. would make sense to me that if I could just get a hold of Mark Zuckerberg real quick, that like there should be a J Ed post button on Facebook that you would write whatever crazy thing you want to write as part of a conversation or reply to a post or a thread. And then instead of posting it right away, it would send it to your email like 10 hours later before it posts right. and say like, are you sure you, really you want, want to, to do, do this? this? Yeah, yeah. Don't be a tool. Also, uh, is it the Sabbath? Cause if it is, then maybe you should rethink <laughs> automatic Sabbath okay blocking. This. What? Oh my God. How do we have so many great ideas while we're talking on the know. podcast? Like, Somebody developed that app, Sabbath Blocking. You know, I I just, this is totally unrelated, but I have a lot of people that I know that are like really strict Sabbatarians. And I actually saw somebody on Facebook chastising someone else for for engaging in commerce on the Sabbath because it would force someone else to work. And they really didn't recognize the irony of that, that by posting on Facebook on Sunday, they were causing someone to work. Yeah, that's like straight commerce with all the right. advertising and right. Facebook itself. Yeah. yeah. But I'm with you. Like, I, I appreciate, um, like, all joking aside, like Tanner and others who have strong convictions and they're trying to live those out. And they're not right. doing so in a way that's closed minded. They're, they're processing. And then when they come to that conviction, they're willing to let it actually change their behavior. And that right. is something that I can say, at least for my own part, I wish I did more. I mean, to be thoughtful about certain things and then to take them seriously in their application. So, uh, I mean, yeah, kudos to those guys. Yeah, maybe we can find one last one to uh, to sort of ruminate on a little bit here. I should have prepared a little bit better. Yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff. Right, some of these are shorter, some of these are longer. There's a lot about him saying, uh, I like this one. He said, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live yeah. their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to old age. I mean, that's yeah. just beautiful. Beautiful. It is, Yeah. And there's a lot of overlap in a lot of these. There's a lot of like, I'm going to think about how bad of a sinner I am and try not to like, try right. not to look down on other people. There's a lot of like, 
I'm going to live so that I wouldn't be, there's two of them that are almost the same. One of them's like, I'm not going to do anything that I would be afraid to do if I was about to die. And then there's another one that's like, I'm not going to do anything that I wouldn't be afraid to do if Jesus was coming back within the hour. Right. Um, so there's a, there's a bit of overlap. They're, they're um, similar. How about this one for like a, a closing? Cause I find this interesting and I think away. it's really bears in this day and age. So this is 60 or we're all the way that far down. Resolved, whenever my feelings begin to appear in the least out of order, when I am conscious of the least uneasiness within, or the least irregularity without, I will then subject myself to the strictest examination. Yeah. I I can just see Jonathan Edwards, like, somebody's like, man, that sermon was really whack. And he's like, hold on. (laughs) Hold on a second. I have to go submit myself to the strictest examination. I'll be right back. Yeah, I like that what he's saying here is something that, again, I think a lot of us tend to struggle with, and that is our our ebbs and flows of how much we're willing to praise God, the effort we put in, even to the Lord's Day sometime in like corporate yeah. worship or a private prayer, depends on how we feel and not on the truth of uh, God's word or his character. So I like that he specifically deals with feelings. It, however he considers us to be out of order, as soon yeah. as he becomes conscious of that fact— He's basically going to go back and submit them to kind of this like judicial review to see if they comport with scripture. And that's heavy because that is, and talk about like Facebook in particular, that's a place sometimes where I think a lot of those conversations, they start out really well-intentioned and we're brothers and sisters in Christ having kind of a, a wonderful debate about even nuanced parts of theology. And then it becomes more heat than light. And right. we have not put or subjected ourselves or put ourselves under not only like you said, as Paul says, living at peace with all others in so much as it depends on us, but even more than that, we can let our feelings get hurt in such a degree that now we're just responding viscerally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then things things can turn from uh, godly and encouraging and productive to destructive and sinful like that. It happens so fast. Yes. And I think that's that's where like the strength of that resolution is, is he's not saying like, well, when something goes haywire... I'm going to think about what happened and try not to do it again. He's saying, as soon as I detect even the hint that something is out of place, I'm going to subject myself to the strictest scrutiny. So he's saying, as soon as something, even a little thing seems out of place, I'm going to stop and I'm going to examine myself. Um, And that's just not something we, it's not something we really do. And I think even, you know, whether it's at work or whether it's in our, our marriages or our family life, um, or, you know, as we're interacting with people online, like if we did that, it would really change, I think, how, how we live our lives. I think it would also help us to understand our sinful nature in a way that's far more practical than the just cliche terms we throw around about being totally depraved. So for instance, if I come to a time of uh, personal, personal prayer and scripture reading, and I kind of have this like gut reaction that I don't feel like doing it. What I'm gathering from this is that would be the right time to sit down for a second and think, why don't I feel like doing this right now? Help me to understand what it is that's driving that and how I can move beyond that. Because the Christian life is hard, but the blessings that come from that kind of self-awareness, I think are for the most part stuff that like we have not even begin to appreciate, discover or experience. And I don't know. I like, I feel like I'm just going on now about J Ed and his, his, um, his great resolutions. But uh, I appreciate that. Like you wrote your own. Did you write like 140 to double them up? No, I, I think we had to do 25. Um, this one's interesting. Um, 
this was Resolution 25, resolved to submit to the traditional and historical interpretations of Scripture and theology in so much as they do not outwardly contradict a plain and logical understanding derived from an honest reading of God's Word. Awesome. That's huge. Yeah. So um, I think uh, we can probably kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, we're hitting that point where we should uh, swing towards the end of things. But, Jesse, do you have any uh, recommendations this week besides don't get a cold? <laughs> You know what I think I'm going to work on, being that I have a cold, and also being that it's cold season, is I think I'm going to try and take seriously, since it's top of mind for me, that resolution to consider pain, uh, to consider pain as a sign of a fallen world, uh, and also of a reminder of the martyrs who have gone before and given like the ultimate sacrifice uh, for faith in Christ. So I yeah. think that's that's where I'm going to be at. What about you, Tony? Um, I mean, I would say just... My, my recommendation, I guess, would be just to take a little bit of time and read through Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And I'm going to read through my resolutions because some of these, um, some of these, I think, are things that I need to work on still. Well, I would think all of them are probably things I need to work on still. Um, so I'm going to read through them. So I would also encourage you to, to think about maybe writing some of your own resolutions and not like um, New Year's resolutions, I'm going to lose weight. Uh, or I'm going to go to the gym for the first three weeks of January and then forget about it. But like resolutions that you can really reflect on for the rest of your life um, and that can help shape and change you. And I, like I said, a good way to, to do that is to start off by reading through Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, kind of get a, uh, a flavor for it and kind of get yourself in the right uh, mindset. I really like that. That's a like a killer recommendation. I, now that you say that, I actually, this might be helpful to some people in that same vein. I, I use Evernote and I have this workbook where I've just started to keep uh, all these things that like short little pithy sayings kind of like this that the Lord has taught me or something particular about his word that's been applicable in my life. And I continually revisit that and I also add to it. So I love the idea of saying what you just said was like tremendous in the sense that this isn't just for 2017. Like think big, Th think long, add to it, make it like a living working document of yeah. uh, your faith. Yeah. And one last, uh, one last recommendation. We don't, we don't do this very often, but, um, if you're listening to this and you're edified by it or you enjoy it, or even if you don't, um, if you could go to iTunes and look us up and leave a rating for us, um, what that does kind of in the, the grand scheme of things is it helps other people find, uh, the show. Um, there's a complicated algorithm they use, but basically if you rate us, um, especially if you rate us favorably, um, then our search goes a little bit higher. So um, that helps other people find the show. It also helps us know what we're doing well, what we're not doing well. Um, and then you can check out our Facebook group, um, which we you know we mentioned at the top of the show in the intro. Um, but we would love to interact with you. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, if you have ideas for shows, things you want us to talk about, that would be uh, really helpful to us as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Kool-Aid man says yes as well. So um, I think that probably just about does it. Let me uh, let me close our time here with uh, just the last of Jonathan Edwards' resolution, and something uh, that I think we can um, we can all learn from. Uh, resolution number seventy says, "Let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak." Amen. Amen. All right. See you next week. Uh, what if I'm far from